Hey everyone, Christopher Watson here with Empowered PAs, and I'm excited that we're finishing up the last edit of a three-part series with Karen Calcano. We're discuss, you know, her career and how she got into uh, PA, her entrepreneurship skills, and we also get talking about uh, mental health care, and well, health care and mental health and uh, a wide range of topics over uh, two hours. So I broke this up in a in a three-part series. I'm really looking forward to it. I hope you enjoy it. And so this will start part one of a three-part series. So I hope you enjoy the first part and come back and listen to the second and third part as we uh, post them throughout the next several weeks. Hey everyone, welcome to in the uh, Empowered PAs podcast. Today I got with me Karen Calcano. She's a PA down in the South Florida area. And uh, so Karen, exactly where, uh, where do you uh, practice down in South Florida? Um, I practice in the Fort Lauderdale area um, mm -hmm. and the adjoining county. So the Dade County, like where Miami is, and Broward County, and actually Palm Beach too. So tri-county so area if you're from South Florida. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and when you say South Florida, a lot of, for me, I just think of a whole just span of South Florida. Uh, yeah. Oh, I guess, I guess if you're not from here, I can see how you can do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I did used to live down in Fort Myers area. So I lived there for oh. two years while I went to PA school and then uh, about a year or so after that. So I'm. Oh, wait. I'm, did you go to Nova? I did, yes. Oh, so did I. But I went oh. to the Fort Lauderdale program. That's awesome. Yeah, the, the Fort Lauderdale had a lot of more resource than Fort Myers. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm glad I went. Um, I, I somewhat sometimes wished I, you know, had went to the Fort Lauderdale campus just because of the resources and everything. But, Nevertheless, I'm still I still graduated, still practicing as a PA as as you are. So how long have you yeah. been practicing now? Well, I graduated in 2007, so a while. Yeah. Yeah. That was about when I started my journey to go to PA school. Oh, yeah, you know, it's funny because when I was in PA school, I I'm pretty sure it, that's around the time when they started the Fort Myers program. There wasn't Fort Myers when I applied. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So what kind of, I mean, did you, I mean, what turned you on to the idea of becoming a PA and, and you know, what, what made you decide, Hey, that's what I want to do. Um, you know, I have a very interesting kind of journey to PA and it's very, um, non-traditional in the sense that I originally wanted to be a veterinarian and I went to, I did my undergrad and got my uh, degree in biology. I took the MCATs and I was all set to go to veterinary school. And while I was in school, I was um, interning at an animal hospital my whole life. I was like that little girl, you know, that you hear about, I want to work with animals, except that most of them forget about it, right? When they're older, except that I never did. I really wanted to go for it because I really had a love for nature and animals and, and all that stuff. So I worked as a veterinary technician all through college and I was ready to do it. And then what changed my mind to look into other things, because at that time, I didn't even know what a PA was. It was no one knew. Like it was very, you know, at least in my area, there was only two PA schools. Um, there was actually a couple. There was like two in Miami and like only one in Fort Lauderdale where I lived. Um, and so what started my curiosity towards deviating from the veterinary profession was that I was seeing that my veterinary friends, I, I worked in a, in a multi-specialty practice, meaning that it was a referral practice for specialist veterinary um, 
you know, specialties and emergency medicine. And they were having a really hard time. The people, and, and I worked with a veterinarian that trained like and did fellowship training for other veterinarians. Um, and I was noticing that these students uh, coming out of fellowship and even the new veterinarians, they were having a really hard time paying their loans because the cost of veterinary school was so inflated and so crazy at that time that you literally, if you really love the veterinary profession, you had to choose in between basically being paying off their loans and loving what you do. And it was a really, so I saw my close friends struggle with that. So then I was like, wait a minute, like I'm poor. Like <laughs> I, I had a scholarship to undergrad. I went to a private school and even with scholarship and even with being an RA, I still had about $30,000 left um, to pay which I mean, compared to the cost of tuition was nothing because I went to a really expensive school uh, for undergrad. Um, but I just kind of like had an awareness of I have these $30,000 I've now graduated. And like, I wanna go to Cornell. Like I wanted to go to like the top veterinary school in the country and like, how's this gonna work? I don't have good credit. I don't have family support. So then I started to really consider other options. And at the time, um, I had been working in emergency veterinary medicine for a while, so <clears throat> I was in, in, in all, for all intents and purposes, kind of like a PA for veterinary medicine, because right. I had been working for a physician for so long that I would do triage, and by the time the veterinarian saw the animal, I had already stabilized it, intubated it, if it was seizing, I would do, so I would do intervention, I would do all the labs that he, he knew that, uh, I mean, that I knew that he wanted, interpret them, put lines in, do whatever needed to do, and even treat it. Like we got to the point where I, I was giving medication because I, I was so trusted. So I, I had a hard time thinking like, oh, let me go back to nursing school because at the time it was a two-year program. And I just thought that, you know, no, like I'm not going to go back and get a whole other bachelor's of nursing and then do that whole thing. And I really wasn't interested in doing, um, you know, just nursing in the sense of what I was doing, meaning just following treatment plans set by other people. I felt like I was robust enough in my clinical knowledge of medicine, even though it was animal related, that I wanted to be the one formulating the diagnoses because I knew I could do it and I had interest in that. So anyways, long story short, I had like a whole like little bit of an existential crisis because as you can imagine, as a young person, you, your whole life you're going in one direction. All of a sudden, wait, what am I going to do? The thought of going to medical school didn't even cross my mind because I just, I was just at that point, I was just like, oh, I don't know. Like people kind of grossed me out. <laughs> if I'm honest, like, honestly, like humans at that time was like, oh, like, I, like people are so gross with their things. And I just like had this thing. And then um, one of the veterinarians that I work with had a niece that was in PA school and was rotating. He was like, look, this is what it is. Like she, and the, and the medical students, they all stand and they can write prescriptions and do that. And I thought he was yanking my chain. I was like, stop, like, really? Like, I just dreamed up a position in my head and you just told me that it existed. And then I went home and researched it. And lo and behold, the Fort Lauderdale, the NOVA program was accepting applications due within the next month. I already really had all the prereqs. They took all my um, veterinary um, hours as as oh. healthcare hours yeah like I, that's like, good that's, yeah well I'll tell you it's I think that they definitely I don't know if all the PA schools do now but I I think that Nova probably does because they've had people like me that have shown them hey like clinically like I by the time I got the PA school I could suture I could interpret labs I knew pharmacology I knew how to calculate drugs I knew how to intubate animals I knew how to draw blood I knew how to do a lines like 
surgery assisting. So, you know, the veterinary profession is a very untapped kind of resource for PAs, if you even want to say that, because we're very, you know, we're kind of, kind of like three or four medical human professions in one. So it was really good. So, and, and that's it. I applied, got in. I didn't even think it was hard, by the way, Chris. Like, I had no awareness of the competition mm-hmm. or that it was hard or anything like that. I literally, I got in, I applied to two schools, got into both of them in the area because I didn't want to move. Yeah. <laughs> Zero awareness, which is probably good because I didn't psych myself out or anything like that. <laughs> so when I started hearing, like, oh my God, it's so hard to get a PA school. Like earlier on in my career, I was like, it is? Like, yeah, yeah I'm sure I, you're like, really? That hard? Yeah, when I, like, I, I, I I realized that it was hard when I started PA school and then I started hearing the stories of other people and how long, you know, how many times they had applied and stuff like that. And I was just like, uh, okay. Like, wow. Like I really had no idea. Like, I'm so glad that I didn't even know what a PA was. I had never met a PA. I never laid eyes upon a PA when I applied. And the you first pretty much PA just walked I, in. You just walked in. And yeah. Had a seat. The first PA I ever met in my life was at my interview. I, you know, it was all very, I like to think it was all divinely ordained because I'm a little bit woo-woo like that. Yeah. No, that's actually, that's a great story. I'm, I'm glad you shared that. Uh, but that, that is a great story. And so um, been practicing for a while now and um, you're, you're doing critical care. Is that correct? Or did I get that wrong? Uh, yeah. Uh, cardiothoracic surgery is my primary specialty, mm-hmm. but um surgery in general. I've been doing surgery my entire career, mostly cardiothoracic, but of interest, um, in 2012, I became an independent contractor for assist and I expanded into other specialties. So I am proficient in orthopedic first assisting, plastic surgery, general. I have a special interest in robotic surgery. I did thoracic robotics, mitral valve robotics, and, you know, all the while that I, I was expanding into all these other specialties, um, cardiothoracic has been just kind of like the main thing. I never stopped doing it, and and that's kind of where I'm at. So is I it, love it? So is that what your is that what your main role now is? Just uh, assisting uh, in all the different surgical specialties? Or are you still doing uh, just cardiothoracic, or is that what you gravitate more in the the role you're doing now? Well, I'll tell you, I'm kind of going through a little bit of a transitional period in my life because my practice, my independent practice um, got so kind of busy and I really didn't have the, this is one of the biggest mistakes that I, that I talk about. And if you um, have an opportunity to read my blog before or whatever, and you're one of those like people listening that you, you know, and you're kind of like, <clears throat> know a little bit about me, you know, that I, <clears throat> had a, a big bout of burnout and that one of the yeah. biggest mistakes in my career was essentially not having the tools to be able to scale my business in the way that was going to be sustainable for me. So what happened was that I started getting so busy. I started kind of like to hire on more help, but I still didn't realize like all the things that it takes to, you know, the operational and all the things that, that, that take to be a sustainable business. So what happened was that when, because the primary way that I made my money was billing patients insurances. So it would be free for the surgeon, free for the patient. And I would just collect an insurance from, from uh, the patient's health insurance. And when reimbursement started to go down, which it has, yeah. um, 
my in my naivete business naivete because you know like nobody trains you to do these things and um that's one of the things that i wish that and that's why i'm so passionate about basically telling and helping other pas that were that are earlier on or even later on in my career um kind of learn things about life that are not necessarily taught in school that are really valuable and like business acumen and and money management and all that stuff is something that i really push for because exactly because of this so when it came that the reimbursement went down, I was like, well, okay, profits down. So I'm just going to double down. I'm a hard worker. Like that's, that's all I know. Like, I'm just going to double the amount of cases, run around a little bit more, this and that and the other until finally I was too, I was, I became extremely run down. As you can imagine, I was running around three different counties, all these hospitals doing all types of like surgical first assisting. And uh, yeah, then I, 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 I crashed. I became really burnt out. So then after that, I took seven months off and then I went back to, um, I decided that I didn't want to do that anymore. I was kind of like, had a little bit of PTSD, you know, reimbursement was down. I didn't really have the, the freedom that I wanted and to choose who and where to work, which was a big part of my happiness in doing that. Um, and I was like, let me just go get an employed job. So I started working for a first assisting company, taking a temporary contract in a in a place just doing cardiothoracic surgery um and uh it turned out to be extremely toxic a very abusive um surgeon that fostered a really i mean honestly in my in in my 15 years in surgery i honestly had never seen anything like it it was the environment was mentally abusive and just humiliating and it was just really not so I just walked away from that <laughs> so right now I'm kind of in between situations kind of figuring out where I'm going to land next um trying to figure out ah, can I go back I can go back to doing first assisting do I want to do that and then all the while thinking about as a woman yeah where I am in my life and what I want to prioritize and right now um I'm trying to start a family with my husband. So then there's that in the back of my mind, because unfortunately, the problem for me that I'm having right now is that I absolutely love, love, love surgery. I love surgery and I wish I could do it at a pace and with a lifestyle that is more conducive to having more of a life outside. So I'm kind of debating whether or not I should be open to changing specialties for the first time in my career or not. So it's a very interesting, interesting place that I'm at right now. And luckily, you know, I'm, uh, financially, we doubled down a while ago and we have money saved up and I don't have to just take any job. So it's, it's a really beautiful thing to kind of have the space for the first time being, you know, so hardworking and, and basically breaking my ass like. Yeah, uh, you know, breaking my ass as a PA, just as an immigrant, like just I don't know anything but hard work. So it's really nice to have that space to be able to be like, hmm, like how do I want to love my career and have a life and 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 kind of comb that out. So you, you've you've taught like you, because it's so, it's so it, like your story that you just went through it's yours and you know it, you know, and, and, and you really skim through a lot. And there's a lot mm -hmm. that you, you talked about there that I kind of want to back up a little bit and break down. Cause yeah, I think there's some, it. 
I think there's some important things there that not only I can learn from, but other people can learn from too. So let's go back. So you graduated PA school, you started working as a PA. Did you start your own, your own business as first assist business or our independent contractor first assistant right out the bat? Or is that a couple of years after practicing? Uh, just, you know, how, what did that look like? Okay. So no, it wasn't right off the bat. Sure. Um, what's funny is that I had decided that I wanted to do that in PA school. It the didn't exist. The own your own business or being the independent uh, first Both. assistant contractor. Okay. Both. So mm -hmm. when I, when I was in PA school and I started rotating and I knew that I had a very, you know, obviously I'm, I was coming from a emergency veterinary medicine background and surgical subspecialty practice in veterinary medicine. So Right. I was very interested in surgery. I love procedures. I was really freaking good at, I was the person that could intubate the, the animal that no one could and could get the, the hard sticks and this and that. So I knew that I had kind of like a proclivity to procedures. So when it came time back in, when I was in PA school, you could choose your electives. So I had four electives and I did one in general surgery, vascular surgery, plastic surgery, cardiothoracic surgery. Um, and I just, and what's interesting was that my first rotation was surgery. So then after that, in my head, everything paled in comparison. Like that's all I wanted to do. In fact, I, in every rotation that I was in, I made it surgery. I made it surgical and, and procedural in some way, because I would ask to, you know, like, let me suture this person up. I remember being, doing my internal medicine rotation and just being the, the phlebotomist for the whole six weeks I was there. I wanted to like do all of the procedures. So I said to myself, like, God, like, wouldn't it be funny again, not having any awareness that it already existed or it was even a, a whatever, like, right. I don't mind the patient care. It's fine. But like, how cool would it be if like all I was doing was surgery, like all the time. And I said, you know, I feel like I could probably do that. If I just like got a bunch of surgeons together and like, whatever, and did that, I'm pretty sure I could create like a full-time gig doing that I'm like and I'm gonna do it and then I was like you know what you know it'll be even cooler because I know that surgeries in PA is that I didn't if I didn't have to take call like how great would that be like oh, I just showed wow. up yeah yeah yes in PA school at freaking 23 years old I, this was like I, I think and then I was like in my head I was like I think I'm gonna I'm probably gonna work for five years because it's probably gonna take that long to be like good enough to yeah. where I could do anything and everything and then I'm gonna say peace out. I'm too good. I'm not going to take call anymore. And you're going to have to pay me to show up here and help you at the time that I feel comfortable. <laughs> that's awesome. With. No, that's I'm awesome, not even though. kidding. And no, I know, I know you're not kidding, but that's awesome. No, I'm totally not kidding. And this wasn't anything. I think I said it to maybe like a couple of close friends of mine or whatever. And, and they were like, yeah, that sounds cool. And I said, maybe I said it to like a professor, my, my professor in surgery. And he was like, yeah, you could definitely do that. And, and that was the plan. That was it. And then I, it, it's funny because I forgot about that. And then literally five years into my career, I was doing full-time CT surgery, working for a, a large cardiothoracic surgery practice that hired me off of my rotation. Mm -hmm. They didn't even, they weren't even hiring and they created a space for me because I was just like, I was a fucking firecracker excuse the language you can bleep yeah. it out like I just wanted to do everything anything I, I was tireless I I went into my the rotation every rotation I went into it like I'm gonna I want to be interchangeable with this PA like what do I have to do to get interchangeable with this PA and I just remember having such like a 
like a zeal and a lust for 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 learning and i'm still like that in in a lot of ways which is which is good i think that for people like me you know there are certain people that are happy to participate in medicine in a way that they can enjoy it just enough to be able to enjoy their life. Mm. I had a, a kind of more of an unhealthy kind of thing where I was almost monomaniacal about it. Like, this is all I want to do. I want to eat, sleep, breathe. Like, I love this. Like, I just like poured. And it's good in a lot of ways. And I feel like maybe a lot of people that are into those like adrenaline fueled specialties, I feel like a lot of us have that and and it's good in a way but also it's bad because when you know when you find yourself having to choose or if you ever come to a point in your life where you want more of a life or you realize that there's more to life than this that right you have kind of like what i'm having now a little bit of an existential crisis of sorts like oh like like who am i (laughs) what do i do with my hands like i don't know like you know it's beautiful but scary at the same time, you know what I mean? So um, yeah, so five years after bringing it all around, five years after that, um, I became burned out. The practice was crazy. The practice that I started with had, I believe, nine surgeons, two vascular and seven cardiothoracic. We went to 12 hospitals. Wow. There was three PAs. Um, I was one of them. So it was really like, it was a residency and a fellowship rolled up into one as far as I'm concerned. It was doing adult and it was the best. It was the best learning experience ever. They were they didn't even know what to do with themselves. We had so many cases and had to go to so many hospitals and it was incredible. And after five years of that, I was like, I'm burned out, guys. Like, I can't do it anymore. Like, I, I literally one day and especially because the hospital the practice i started in a private practice and this is another thing that i want like you know whoever's listening to understand how medicine has changed in the span that i've been in practice when i graduated most of the surgeons were in private practice in my area and i know that in a lot of parts of the country there's still some pockets where a lot of doctors are still in private practice it's not many though not not many. many yeah so you know in my career i saw the transition from private practice being the normal to the overhead being too difficult and then being them the physicians being absorbed into hospital systems so then when physicians got absorbed into hospital system we went with them so all of a sudden the private practice that i was in which it was it was a beautiful thing it was a very for as big as the practice was it was very mom and pop meaning that i could walk into an office be like hey i'm taking off next week you know, I didn't have to go through this rigmarole that we have to <laughs> right. in the hospital system. We got to put in the request. You got to go through like five managers, have a meeting about a meeting and then, you know, whatever, whatever. So I started t- towards the back end of those five years. The last two, uh, we had gotten absorbed into, well, actually the practice broke up and all the surgeons scattered and went into different hospital systems. And I ended up in this one hospital system. And I mean, I loved it, but I just, the bureaucracy and, you know, around the time uh, the economy crashed, it was 2008, yeah. nine. Well, we, we honestly, like where I was, we really didn't feel it up until about 2010 when it all caught up in the hospital. So the hospital systems were going crazy. That's when like, really it became unsafe. They started to 
you know, uh, create skeleton crews. Like that's when the staffing problem started. Um, reimbursement was down and the hospitals were, were kind of panicking and how to save money. And they started adding all these things up to my plate that I wasn't getting paid for and just made it a lot less enjoyable. So I got burned out. Well, and, <laughs> so, and I want to, I kind of want to ask you about that too. And yeah. Cause I found even with my, you know, personally, and, and I think a lot of uh, healthcare providers run the same thing is like, there's a lot that leads up to burnout, but usually when we realized, at least in my opinion, what had, like, it's, it's like, you're too far into it. And I, and it sounds like from, and I have read, uh, I can't say read indeed, but I have like read through your blog and, and th- and read some of your story. And I, I kind of want you to touch on, did you, at what point did you recognize? Cause I'm, I'm, I feel like that it started probably a year before, or even longer before you really was to the point that you're like, all right, I want to walk away because I've had enough. Uh, oh yeah but and so what were did you see the warning signs because i know the warning signs are there but did you see the warning signs or or was it you know go through that process with us because um because i think that's important for when you look back to try and try and wreck it because i feel like now that you've been through it you can see it you know you can catch it earlier now but then you know it seems like most of us we get to the point that we break before we realize it Definitely, 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 definitely. Uh, did I see the warning signs? No, it was all a big surprise to me because mm-hmm. <laughs> the thing is that look, for for many, when we come to medicine, we come with, you know, the the baggage of our previous experiences, right? And I've been noticing that for a lot of people, myself included, you come to medicine with a calling to serve right? To serve patients, to help patients. But a lot of times that calling comes from people pleasing and your tendency to people please, which in a way is self-abandonment. You know, if you really want to get into it, that can come from previous traumas, your childhood, whatever, whatever. So you come to medicine with this baggage. And no one knows that this is happening. This is an awareness that I have now, like in the rear view, right? After the fact. So I came to medicine with that, okay? So I didn't, I didn't have any awareness of, you know, up until that point, I didn't, I didn't know that I had to assess my own needs. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that I needed to, you know, pour into myself um, before pouring into others to keep a balance. So enter medical education, self-sacrificial from the beginning for crying out loud. Yes. Your patients first, you, you know, you work until like, again, we're hailed as heroes because people want to think that we're tireless and superhuman and this and that. And, and our training really does kind of like perpetuate that idea, like PA school, medical school. Like that was honestly, like some of the, I, I, it was so much that I, I don't know if you go through this, but I have forgotten. Like I, it's almost like my brain had to erase some of the stuff to be able to go through it. Um, because I, I was working at the time. I couldn't afford not to work through PA school. So that's another thing that I had to do. And it was, oh, insane. Wow. now I look right now. I look back. I'm like, how the fuck did I go to lecture from eight to five? And then at five, go do a night shift at the animal hospital and then show up to class again the next morning. How the hell did I work on Friday, clocked in on a Friday at the animal hospital, slept there until Monday, and then went to school. Like, I just, the whole thing, like, 
but it's funny because again, coming to medicine with the baggage that I had and the upbringing that I had, I didn't have the awareness. I just, I looked at it. I just remember, I didn't even think to myself, oh, wow, this is really fucking hard. Like maybe I shouldn't know. I was just like, no, this is what needs to be done. Let's go. Like, you know, just like my upbringing, like I'm, I'm a big sister. I'm the oldest of five. Yeah. And there were certain things that happened in our upbringing that when you're a kid, you don't have a choice. And yeah. I had to take care of my siblings and do this and that and the other. So, so I want everybody to kind of understand how your life and your experiences can shape some of your attraction into the medical profession and how you kind of end up in burnout. So when came time for me to be burnt out, it wasn't until my body benched me that that I had any awareness that I was burnt out. So you and said what, your body benched you. What, what, what my happened? body benched me. Yeah, what well, happened? when you're exposed to chronic stress, hmm. you start to have physical symptoms, right? right. Um, so it first started out as headaches all the time, all the time headaches. Like I remember like I was going to acupuncturists and, you know, taking um, me- uh, prescription medicine for these migraines that never stopped. And and then after the migraines, it was like heartburn that would never go away. I ended up having an upper GI and running through the, the gamut of tests and, and, and kind of like the, the consensus was, well, you have a little bit of gastritis, but nothing as crazy as you say, because it was like unrelenting. So slowly, you know, the slow creep of saying yes to a lot of things is what, you know, gets you there. And I was just working at the same pace. Like, think about like my PA school training. I was working. I was, and then what do I, where, what specialty did I end up? I ended up in cardiothoracic surgery. That is just as crazy, just as the self-sacrificial, one of the toughest specialties to be in. But for me, it was my comfort zone because that's what I was used to. I was used to war. Like I, I was used to waking up and going to war every freaking day. So it wasn't until you know, I started to get physical symptoms that were too far gone, meaning that I, 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 my body said, no, like you can't like, and I was having like panic attacks. And, you know, I remember this, this one time that I was, it was in, in anxiety and panic. It, again, it, this is all the physical symptoms, excuse me, are all happening on a subconscious level. Yeah. Meaning that you don't have an awareness of it. So when it hits you, you're like, what the hell, man? Like, what's what's happening? Like, why is this happening? Like, I just want to be able to function. I want to be able to keep going at the pace that I'm comfortable going. So I don't have to think about all this crap in my, you know, in the recesses of my brain that might, you know, be wanting to be heard. Um, And it was a routine day. I had just finished an off-pump cabbage with my favorite surgeon. We were laughing the whole time. The case went beautifully. I went to my office to put notes that just happened to be inside of the CVICU and I was by myself and I started to get this crazy crushing chest pain. And at the time, I think I was like 20, I must've been like 28 or 29 years old. Wow. I was clutching my chest, like ended up on the floor. So if really? you can picture, if you can wow. picture this, I didn't have, I couldn't scream. It was like when you have that dream and something's happening and you yeah. can't scream. I couldn't, it was just so crushing. And I was on the floor and I was at that time, I was like, dude, how fucked up is it that I'm, that you die of your own specialty? <laughs> oh, oh, 
And that, that's what was going through your head as you yeah, were laying on the like, floor, like, I, your fist. I, this is a fucking like, tragedy. Oh I'm my god, I'm about to die of a heart attack. Yeah, and that's like, what I'm, I just got through doing was taking some. Yeah, like this is oh fucking tragic. Like I'm dying of my own specialty in the floor of my office inside of the CVICU. Yeah. Next to the patient that I just next to like 13 patients that I operate on this week. Oh my gosh. So as you can imagine, that was kind of like a wake up call when, yeah. when I started to realize that, wait, like something's going on because the, you know, I, the body is infinitely, infinitely wise. Okay. If you yourself don't have the awareness, your body will, 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 will show you and tell you and give you first it's subtle and then it screams at you and then it stops you, you know, it's like passing out or something like if you pass out it means that your body has had too much of something and it just decided to shut you down because something's going on yeah you know um so i had no awareness so then it was all a surprise to me so what did i do uh i said uh i quit here's my notice mm. uh i'm gonna take some time off i don't know what i'm doing but i feel like this is something that i should do because i and at the time i couldn't just say hey i'm going through something Right. Because everyone around me was working at the same insane pace. So then I would like there was this this thing, this unspoken thing in surgery that and I'm sure in medicine, too, that it that, that you can't show weakness. OK, like whoever stands the longest is the best person. And, and especially for me as a woman and at the time. It was a very male dominated specialty. And I remember getting there and then being talking about all these women that, that had been in the practice before me. Mm-hmm. I mean, how they couldn't handle it and how they left to go to dermatology and this and that. So that's all I heard from all you know my mentors that were men. And, and I was like, oh, I never want them to say that about me. So yeah. I just went hard. I went harder than everybody. I'm pretty sure like I, as a woman, I had, I just had this awareness that I had to be better than everybody. And I had something to prove. And for, so for me to say I'm struggling in at that time in my head, it would have been me just saying like, Oh, but I turned out like the other girls did. Yeah. And, and I know that it bothered them because, and it's a very selfish thing, that judgment that you get, meaning that they're not worried. Like they're worried about themselves. You know what I mean? Like they're mad because it means that they're going to have to take, take on more workload. So I really, I didn't, first of all, I didn't know that I was burned out. Second of all, I, I didn't feel comfortable telling anybody that I was struggling Mm -hmm. because it was important to me. I worked so hard in my career. Like, I don't want anybody to know that I, that I'm weak in every way. And anyway, because I feel like they were they would have used it against me in some way. I mean, I don't know. At least I, I thought that. So what I did is that I took some months off. I went to Southeast Asia. I eat, prayed, loved. I really got into yoga. Like I was like one of these people that was just like in Thailand, like doing yoga all day long. And it was great. I loved it. It was incredible because I didn't, need to deal with any of the shit that, w- that was really going on in my head that caused it. I didn't make any changes into the way that I was working. I just had a break and, and gained clarity and wasn't tired anymore. Mm-hmm. 
So as soon as I got into town, my phone's ringing off the hook because at the time I, I had started a robotics, uh, a, a heart, sorry, a cardiothoracic robotics program at this one hospital with this surgeon. And I was the only assistant that, that could do it. Mm-hmm. Not even other surgeons could do it because it's a very specialized training. And, oh, you know, we've had to cancel all these cases since you've been away. Like, come on, you're the only one that can do it. Come back in. We'll, we'll pay you whatever you want, this and that and the other. And I said, all right, on a per diem basis. And then I was, and then I was like, all right. So I just had work as soon as I came back and structured differently. And then it took off from there. Then I started to get calls from other surgeons. And, and before you knew it, I was doing cardiothoracic in, in, in three counties because there was a really big need at the time. I was negotiating hospital contracts for coverage and I was really busy. And then a few years went by and then I started inching into other specialties. But, you know, what that first, how I ended up in that first bout of burnout was a complete mystery to me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of people don't have that uh, kind of have similar experiences. And that's why now I didn't learn what the warning signs are until my second uh, burnout, big burnout, which was uh, in, in 2020. When I realized that there were warning signs, I just didn't have the awareness to deal with it because guess what? When I became burned out in 2020, there was a pandemic and I couldn't travel. I couldn't right. run away. I couldn't eat, pray, love myself out of this. It forced me to have to look at my patterns. It forced me to have to look at how my behavior and the way that I was doing things was contributing to this feeling. Um, and that's working with my therapist. That's when I realized that there are warning signs and there is something called a healthcare hangover which I try, I, I speak a lot about on my blog, which, yeah. you know, there's, there's burnout and then there's a healthcare hangover and the healthcare hangover is kind of like a precursor to burnout. Meaning you can have a healthcare hangover just from working one tough shift. You know, that feeling mm-hmm. when you feel drained mentally, spiritually, physically, and you kind of just like sit in your car, like someone just like blew a bullhorn in your ear for like yeah. 10 hours and you can't hear or see anything. And you're just like exhausted. That's a help. That's a, that's a healthcare hangover. So I found that when I went back into practice after my um, my second bout of burnout, when I kind of teased out what the warning signs were for me, I read a lot about it. I worked with a therapist, like all these things. And she forced me to write down all the things that I, you know, all the warning signs. That's when I realized that you have a chance to kind of like see the warning signs in a healthcare hangover. And it starts with you know, at the end of that really tiring shift, and then what you have to do to get yourself back to baseline and homeostasis before you continue. Because if you have three bad shifts in a week, you're, you're whooped for, for like a long time after. So your recovery is much, so it's going to be much longer and much harder. Whereas if you catch it right in the beginning and you show up to work, having already poured into yourself with with a startup ritual right with taking some time before work and doing what you need to do and i and i talk about all this stuff on my blog yes, i talk about yes, the signs do. of healthcare hangover um writing a blog post about how to craft a startup ritual how to craft a shutdown ritual because there does have to be a transitional period between you showing up to work in order to be able to be your best self and do your best work and there is a transitional period for you to kind of leave work at work because unfortunately especially now with the emr and all the crap that they want you to take home you're you're yeah it's incredible you're taking work home 
I refuse to do it now. I refuse to take work home. I, 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 I'm to the point, like, I don't mind it. Like if I got like five charts or something like that, I mean, I'm fine with that, but, uh, you know, and, um, I used to bring home a stack of charts and spend Saturday and Sunday doing charts. And I just, I will no longer do that. I mean, I'll I'll either, I'll either tell them they'll lighten my load or figure something else out. Like you should be able to do that while you're at work. And if you decide to bring it home, it should be your choice and you should be paid for it. Right. So we have a very hard time, again, transitioning because we're just so used to being like, oh, work, now I'm home and now these charts and whether it be physical work, like you said, bringing home charts or actually there's a lot of mental things that we drag through us. You're thinking about that patient, that conversation inside, you're worried. I find myself like calling the unit, like how's so-and-so doing? Like when I'm on call, um, so right now I'm just doing cardiothoracic per diem. So I, I take weekend call and that's a, like, honestly, like it's, it's great because it's, I wish I was working a lot more than, than I am, but it's, it's a great pace because it, it allows me again, like the space to be able to sort out what my next move is going to be. But I find myself doing the same exact thing and falling into old patterns, calling the unit. What's going on today? Like, how's he doing? Did he do this? Did he do that? Like, <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's, it's hard to draw a line. So having a startup ritual and having a shutdown ritual for work when you leave work and also a shutdown ritual to decompress when you get home, yeah. it has been life-changing in that transition and giving me kind of like space in between, you know, work and life. And I feel like these tools have really, really helped me. And I want to just tell everybody yes because i feel like if all of us were doing it and not only pas freaking everybody i'm interested right. in i'm interested in all healthcare professionals knowing this because we're all going through the same thing and what i find is that every specialty has their own like quote unquote like burnout crew and how to do this and whatever and is by going down rabbit holes on the internet mm-hmm. i'm realizing that everybody has unique perspectives and unique things to say that you're not necessarily sharing with everybody else but i was like how great would it be just like if everybody just like shared all this crap because we're all going through the same thing instead of being on on, caught in that like ground floor level of oh my specialty is better than yours and you don't know you know you don't understand this and that and the other like so so that's kind of like my little itty bitty mission that i'm going on i mean mission in the sense that if you're open to receiving what I have, what I have to say, like, I feel like it's valuable because it would have saved me so much time and money and, and, and heartache and all that stuff. Well, I agree. You know, I've been following you for a while on Instagram and, and a lot of stuff you've been posting and, and whatnot. It's, it's just been great. And some days, you know, I just, wow, I'm, you know, like, I'm glad you post that even, even if it was like, you know, you saw something else and, and reshared or whatnot, but uh, but you're right. Your your blog. You, you talk all about this, and so um, I'll make sure that we'll put the link to your blog. You know, uh, in our on our website, and then you know on the on the show notes and whatnot, uh, so people can easily get to it. You know, and, and pick out which blogs they want to read. But you're right. You go through all of it step by step and get detailed information. It's a great place to go, and, and it's it is your your blog is a great resource for this. 